Hey everybody, how's it going? Arm and Hammer here. That right there is Justin LaFranco with the Morning Chalk Up. Welcome to this episode of On The Minute. And as of right now, we are less than 24 hours away from the announcement of 19.1, the start of the 2019 CrossFit Games Open. And that is going to be a large part of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Let's go ahead and get right into this. You guys recently released an article taking a look at some very specific numbers that people need to know when we're looking at the Open. Because this year, the CrossFit Games Open counts in a way it never has before. National champions are going directly to the CrossFit Games. Top 20 worldwide is going directly to the CrossFit Games. And you guys were able to crunch some numbers and figure out exactly who has the best shot of taking those top 20 worldwide spots. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and dive into that. Yeah, so what we did is we just kind of looked at the last five years of competitive CrossFit. And, 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 and you know, we, we did five years because it just kind of narrows it down to a manageable chunk. Um, CrossFit's not that old of a sport, but it's old enough where it's gone through some serious changes in how athletes perform and how athletes treat the sport. So we cut it to five years and we basically did this. We said there's three criteria we're going to use to determine who we think are the most um, have the highest propensity of ending up in the top 20, and they, they're going to formulate what our who to watch list. And this is the criteria that we use. It's, you know, any athlete uh, that's finished in the top 20 in the last two consecutive seasons, so that's 2018 and 2017, uh, an athlete who's finished top 20 in 2018, but no previous years, and they qualified for the 2018 CrossFit Games. So that would be Laura Horvath, by example. First time last year in the top 20, and she qualified uh, to the 2018 CrossFit Games. And then the third criterion we use is an athlete who's finished top 20 in at least three of the past five seasons. One of those seasons has to be 2018 and 20, and, uh, or 2017. And Sam Briggs is an example of that. Sam Briggs has been top 20 uh, for several seasons, but she wasn't last year. So we use that to kind of formulate this list. And then we came up with, um, with about, what was it, 15 females and 18 male athletes who meet that criteria and not a lot of these names are surprising top of that list matthew frazier rich froning uh, alex vigneault patrick vellner bk goodmanson and then top five on the list for the females is camille um annie thor's daughter carol ann reason tebow Catherine Davis Otter and Jamie Green. There's a lot of interesting analyses that can be done when you look at a competition as broad as the Open. You have so many participants, you have so many different people in this entire competition who are looking forward to what the rest of the season looks like. And I think the data there is really interesting. And I'm glad that you guys are, are diving into it. But there is one very specific piece of information that I think has been on everybody's minds, and that is open signups. And as of right now, the the recording of this episode, the number that we have of the open signups is just over 200,000 individuals. That's about 207, maybe 208, uh, depending on how you're rounding. And that gives us an interesting picture of how the community is responding to the open uh, as sort of like, you know, voting with their wallet, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in comparison to last year, um, you know, they, the Open has continued to increase every single year. But specifically in comparison to last year, what we have when we crunched the numbers after the Open was um, 429,157 individuals completed at least one workout of the Open. And this, this uh, uh, pales in comparison to that number by half. Obviously, there's still time until this coming Monday at the close of 19.1 to register, but they're tracking at roughly around 50% right now. 
fully expect there to be an uptick in, in signups as interest over the live announcements kind of peaks and, and people are, you know, finally, you know, showing up on Saturday thinking, oh, you know what, I am going to go on ahead and register for this. But right now we're tracking at half or less than half from right now, um, which I think with, I, I don't want to say it spells doom, but it certainly indicates that people's enthusiasm for the Open this year has been negatively affected by, by everything that's gone on over the last seven months. For sure, there's also the factor of no marketing lead up to the Open. G- generally, leading into the Open, there's a huge push by CrossFit HQ. I mean, we're talking massive uh, rollouts on Instagram, using footage from the previous year's games and getting athletes and coaches to to pump up the games, uh, the Open for everybody to participate in. You get all the biggest personalities on CrossFit's media to, to talk about CrossFit Open and why it's important to participate. And this year, that hasn't happened. And and I think that there's certainly some of that uh, drop-off that can be attributed to the lack of marketing, the lack of the message being put out to people. And I think it's it's up to you know maybe time over the next couple of weeks for us to decide whether or not this piece of information is as damning as it seems. Because at first glance, yeah. It does not look good. Yeah, clearly it's clear there's a lot of monetary significance that's attributed to that. You can do the easy math, 20 times the amount of individuals that are not signing up this year in, in comparison to last year, and you can formulate sort of a, a revenue lost. But um, it, it, we'll get to that once we look at the final numbers after the close of registration. But I think it's important to understand about sentiment and enthusiasm because what they had was an event that over the course of its lifetime continued to increase dramatically and significantly year over year. We're going to look at the progression of the increase year over year to also look at where things stand today. And with more affiliates worldwide today at the, during the 2019 Open than during the 2018 Open, and with a significant drop-off in participation worldwide, it doesn't spell good news for, a, for the largest participatory event. Um, uh, for CrossFit. And I, I just, I think that on top of revenue, it's important to look at, okay, if people aren't excited about the, this one thing that brought the entire community together for, one, for five weeks of fitness, they're going to be less excited about CrossFit. And there's a direct correlation between your enthusiasm about the CrossFit Open and your enthusiasm about CrossFit as a brand and as a sport. And so um, I think that I think it's something to pay attention to really closely. Um, we'll see how it plays out, but um, right now it's not tracking so well. We're certainly going to be keeping our eyes on it. I mean, these numbers are, are are really sort of important gauges for where things are at with the community, and it's something that obviously Justin and I both we have we have our fingers on the pulse here. And so we'll we'll continue talking about this over the next couple of weeks as more information comes and and really more analysis is 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 possible as time passes but now that we're sort of at the cusp of the 2019 open season kicking off these five weeks we are also at the cusp of something really interesting which is a sanctioned event strength and depth uk which is taking place the first weekend of the open and they're not just taking place the first weekend of the open but they're doing something very very cool which is using 19.1 as their kickoff their workout, yeah, kickoff workout of the weekend. It was an interesting and necessary that, that for them to do that. <laughs> 
yeah, it's uh, it's definitely elegant problem solving. I think is a good way of looking at it. When no, it is. It's very smart on their part. They they took a solution. They took a problem and they turned it into a solution. So who can we expect to see competing at strength and depth? This is this is something that I think we've seen some really impressive names sign up for. And as the sanctioned events become more and more important because there's fewer and fewer of them left in the season, I think we're, we might be seeing some bigger and bigger names showing up. So so tell me who we're going to be seeing this weekend. A lot of really, really interesting athletes here. And um, so let's focus a little bit on the men because we, we talked a little about the women last week and some highlighted some of them. We've got Willie George, Elliot Simmons. Um, I don't know this athlete's name, sorry, but uh, he was invited, so I'm putting him at the top of the list here. Elvis Kransky. Um, we have we have Lucas Hogberg, who's uh, who's competing. Paul Tremblay, and then another athlete I want to bring up is Drew Wayman. Drew Wayman competed at Wadapalooza, and he did a, a phenomenal job. A raw, talented athlete with a lot of power output. He trains with Amanda Barnhart, um, and he placed, I think, fourth. And this is a non-games athlete. This is a regionals athlete and placed fourth, sort of pulled a little bit of a Danny Spiegel there and was way up in the upper echelons of competition. And he didn't just sneak up there. Like he was there from the beginning and and was able to maintain that throughout some workouts that he expressed were his weaknesses. So we've got a host of of, of athletes like that um, that are going to be there. Also of note, I think it's worth mentioning is Christoph Horvath, which is Laura Horvath's brother, uh, qualified, went through the online qualifier, um, qualified, and he's going to be competing this weekend. I think the the talent pool, when you look at some of these European sanctioned events, and this is the first sanctioned event in Europe, I, I think that's something that is going to be very exciting to see, mainly because of how jam-packed Europe has been in general when it comes to just raw talent of athletes competing in this sport. And I think seeing something central to the European continent draw in these types of athletes this early into the season only makes me more excited for other European events like the Lowlands in the end of May and uh, the French Throwdown in the middle of June. I mean, we're talking about events that are going to be almost last chance events at that point, but it's going to be drawing for some of the best athletes who are left who don't have their spots at the games. And, And I think that's a really cool thing to see about an event like this in the middle of Europe. Now, that said... What are they going to be testing? Because we know they're going to do 19.1 as their first workout. Not that any of us really know what 19.1 is going to be, but what do we think it, the rest of the weekend? Actually, we don't even say what do we think. They've released the rest of the weekend's workouts. This is a two-day competition. This is shorter than a lot of the other competitions, which are uh, between three and four days. And so they're really packing in a lot here. There's going to be seven total workouts, um, unless they sneak in an eighth, which would be particularly mean of them. But it's going to kick off with 19.1 in the morning on Saturday. And then we've got... Uh, a couple of interesting ones. I'm going to point out one that I really like, um, just because uh, you know we can't, we don't really have time to go through each one of these workouts individually. But workout four is the end, the final workout of the day for Saturday, and it's four time, 30 cal assault bike, 30 clean and jerks, 65 kilos and 42.5 kilos. Uh, Armin, I'm going to allow you to translate that because I didn't write down the kilo translate kilo translation. I know you so have so approximately 7,000 pounds. That sounds like a lot, Cotton. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to deal with that, but uh, 30 clean and jerks, 65 kilos, 42.5 kilos. What's that like, 155? It's, it's, about, it's, it's about the like 140 and 100 pound range right there. Got so it. So it's, it's like just a little bit heavier than 135. So I love this workout because 30 cals, uh, a 30 cal sprint and then, and then grace. 
and then a, a, what, what appears to be a slightly heavier version of Grace. That seems really fun to watch, and I think it's going to be very exciting. And it's at the final event of the day, so why not just test them with three workouts and then wreck them at the end of the day, and then make them show up on Sunday for an extra for another three workouts. So that's one I'm definitely looking forward to watching. What I love about seeing this is, again, we're seeing this this wide range of approaches to what a sanction event is all about and how to define the best way to test these things. This is the shortest time period. It's only two days events, uh, two days worth of events, but it's seven events, which is the same number of events that we saw at Wadapalooza. And now I think the more that these sanctioned events occur, the better view we're getting at what it takes for these events to truly put on a good test and pick the best CrossFitters to get that invite to the CrossFit game. So what I'm interested in seeing here is how do the athletes feel after two days of competition that would generally be split over three days of competition anywhere else? And let's go ahead and take a look now at the programming here, but from a broader perspective, and this is something that Justin, you and I have talked about a lot in the past, and it's this idea of kind of tying back to what I was just saying is, is where do the sanctionals fit? And you've brought up this idea of repeating certain workouts in order to have measurable benchmarks across these sanctioned events. And I think it fits in a really interesting way with strength and depth because they're using 19.1, which is going to be a measuring stick that is going to have the most amount of data available to it out of any other event this season. So what else are you thinking that you'd want to be seeing as a benchmark like that? Yeah, I think I think the, the, the concept kind of goes around these strands, and it's that there's a lot of pressure on these sanctioned events to come up with something new and to kind of reinvent the programming wheel. Um, and I, I, look, I have no, no, no issues with that. And I think that everything we've seen so far has been really, really great from a program, programmatic standpoint and workout standpoint. But... Um, I think there's a lot of burden to differentiate yourself from other events and try and come up with something new or not crazy from a necessarily heavy standpoint, but something that's new and unique that nobody's seen before. And I, I really wish that they would just kind of take one workout, sort of the way that the Open does, and it tests previous workouts. The games usually test the previous workout too. And so actually bringing that back and saying, look, well, there's a, some great regionals workouts that are out there that are wonderful, excellent tests of, worth, of an athlete's fitness capacity. There's some other great tests that have gone on at other sanctioned events. I've seen some events that I would love to see another a set of athletes or crop of athletes take on. So the concept is, hey, don't try and... Do, you, don't take on the burden all on your own. Like, why don't you borrow a workout from somebody else? And then people like us, like that want to pontificate and argue about this kind of thing, we can go up, we can crunch the numbers and say, look, like, look where all these other athletes are. We love to do that at regionals because you could you could compare an athlete's performance worldwide and you could say, oh, this is where somebody stood out here. This is where somebody stood out here. And what's even cooler about going further back um, to older regionals or older games workouts is you can do the same thing, but you'd get a great snapshot into how much fitter some some athletes are here or challenges things that they're still challenged by and that that they um, you know need to work on. So I I personally think every sanction event should use a previous workout of some kind that they can measure against um, other athletes' performance. I think it's great and it's a workout you don't have to program. Win win. There are dozens. I mean, we we know that there are dozens of events from the last sets of regionals and games over the past few years that are are really good at these exact types of selection and testing yes. 
yes. in the methods that they're trying to use already. So in, instead of sort of reinventing the wheel every time and putting that type of pressure on yourself, I think there there's certainly a, a case to be made for at the very least having events that are referential to some of the things we've seen in the past, because as much as there were many flaws with the regionals and games format of the past, one of the things that was a shining example of how it goes so well tended to be the programming and the programming it was able to put together, you know, great races at the ends of most of the weekends, really interesting, you know, uh, competitions between specific athletes that we generally have not been seeing a lot of so far in the sanction events. And I think, I think it's, it's a growing pain, but I certainly think there's, there's a case to be made of not just completely abandoning all the old workouts and being able to at least, you know, tip your hat to where we've been in the past and where we're going from here. People forget the David, I don't, well, maybe people don't forget it, but people don't say it. Dave is a master programmer. Um, he's constantly been able to expose training weaknesses in mass. You know, even, even elite athletes will tell you that they, it's not that they necessarily neglect it. It's that they had not been focusing on a specific type of movement that Dave somehow manages to find in the open. The, the best case, uh, best example of that is dumbbells. Now, the best of the best were able to power through those workouts, and they, and they are a con, you know, obviously constantly varied training. But it exposed weaknesses for a lot of athletes that they had been neglecting or ignoring. Strict muscle-ups when like we had strict Nate programmed. That was exciting to watch. He always seems to be able to find places and gaps in people's training, and I think that you should pay close attention to that. And I don't think there's any shame uh, with, with borrowing a workout that Dave or any other programmer has programmed. There are some great tests out there and um, it would be really excited to watch some of those repeated. And let's go ahead and before we wrap up here for for the day, let's touch on a really interesting story that, that came out over the past couple days, which is Margot Alvarez, a perennial games athlete who is probably qualified out of more regions than any other athlete in the world. Three or four and regions. She's, yeah, she's moved around a bunch uh, and qualified out of each one of those as the seasons have gotten harder and harder for her to compete. Uh, she's still been able to stay at the top of the game. Now, Margot Alvarez has, has essentially announced her retirement from competitive CrossFit by saying that she's not going to be participating in the open. And the reasoning she gave is, is something along the lines of, it, it seems as if the people at CrossFit, the head of CrossFit doesn't care about the CrossFit games. So why should I participate in the open? And therefore I won't. The, the, the sticky part of this, the part of this where things get a little bit strange is Margot has been that entire time also a perennial part of the level one certification staff, the education seminar staff. And that is no longer the case. It, it, entirely based, it seems, on her comments. And Justin, you have some insight to this, I think, that other people may not. So you know, if I if I mess something up here, could you set shed some light here? Yeah. No, I don't think I don't think you you messed up anything. I mean, uh, the story's up on our site, you know, um, uh, that it kind of walks through what happened and um, yeah, it was her comments that, that really got her let go and um, 
uh, you know, it happened on Monday. I was, you know, sort of a quick phone call, and, and um, you know, she's no longer on seminar staff. She's been there for five and a half years. Um, the, you know, this, so there's kind of two stories. One is, is, is her getting terminated from seminar staff, but then the second is that she's kind of stepping away from competitive CrossFit. Now, she still has plans and has expressed it and, and accepted her invitation to compete at the Rogue Invitational, but after that, um, her time with competitive CrossFit is essentially over. She's not going to be doing the Open, so unless if she were to go win the Rogue Invitational, um, she wouldn't be getting an invitation to the CrossFit Games this year. And as she's expressed, and you've seen from a lot of the social media posts that she's put out there, she's working on um, American Ninja Warrior and planning to try out for that. And then she's also doing... um, uh, golf and not like a PGA golf, but like long range um, uh, golf competitions, and she's been training for that. Uh, but the bigger story really is that she's he, she's continuing to focus on the wine business that she started a couple of years ago, and that's a big focus for her. And so, um, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, she's moving away from the competitive side of CrossFit and using that notoriety that she's been gained that she's gained over the last several years as being an elite athlete, and kind of continuing to move that on into into the future endeavors for 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 Margot. So. Um, Kind of, kind of a two-pronged story there, which is a bit unfortunate and sad that the community is going to be losing somebody like that, who's, who's, you know, an excellent coach um, and been an excellent instructor on the seminar staff for the last five and a half years. The optics here, the, how this looks, it looks incredibly thin-skinned on CrossFit's perspective uh, from from letting go someone who's so talented and loved and well-known at her job, and and you know, sort of doing it mainly because she's repeated not not even discouraged the community from participating she just essentially repeated some of the same sentiments that she's heard her the owner of the company that she works for express himself and so i i guess there's there's certainly there's certainly i think a, a fine line there and uh you know I, I like margot i've worked with her in the past she's fantastic i know that she's going to be successful in the future her wine's delicious by the way if you want to go try some it's, it's really good and if she's moving on to something like american ninja warrior or long-range golf both of those sound awesome and i'm sure she's going to be great at both of those i think there's a little less uh, uh, you know i think it's a little less fatiguing to run uh, a full-scale wine business which requires a harvest and um and uh, uh training for american ninja warrior in comparison to training for the crossfit games and the amount of hours and physical toll that takes um so i don't know <laughs> stomping grapes into wine is really hard work and she's probably stomping <laughs> grapes like 10 12 maybe 14 hours a day it's, it's wild during harvest time like, that's, i think they that's busy. i don't know i you know I, i'm not in the winemaking business but i think they've moved beyond the physical foot to grape uh like process for winemaking, I'd have to ask her and confirm about that. Uh, but n- nonetheless, I think that uh, I think that it's a little less physically demanding than um, than training for the games. That's uh, I've never trained for the games, so I don't I can't confirm that. But I think that that uh, uh, assumption is probably true. Probably true. Anyways. Well, folks, uh, that right there. That's Justin Olfranco with the morning shock up. <laughs> I am Armin Hammer. This has been on the minute. And before we go. If you know who Eva T is, Eva Twardokins, uh, OG Nasty Girl, one of the one of the first of, of the the Nasty Girls at, at CrossFit HQ, recently in a in a, a plane crash yeah. in critical care in ICU, recovering. There's a GoFundMe out that that has been put up for her. We'll have the link to that GoFundMe available in the description of this video, everywhere that you're watching it. If you can give something, please give something. 
she's super rad and, and obviously wants as much support, whether or not it's good vibes or, or in, in that GoFundMe donation, either way works. And, uh, you know, our thoughts are out with her. Hopefully she has, she has a quick, speedy and complete recovery. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Good luck in 19.1. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week.